The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. In the announcements, you heard that there is a wellness conference that uh, happens this coming Saturday. You can stop at the table out there and uh, find out about the details and how to sign up and be a part of that. There we go. Need a little help there, Michael? We're going to watch him juggle up here. There we go. Look at that. Not bad. Would you open your Bibles or your apps with me to Mark 1 and Mark 3? Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 3. As we uh, take a look at God's Word together this morning, we'll look at a message I've entitled Travelers. Travelers. Some of you were traveling in mourning yesterday from uh, Austin and College Station, I guess, last night. You guys have to learn to pick the Kent states, Kent states of this world to put in your schedule. It's a lot easier. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 16. And as he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they immediately left the nets and followed him. And going on a little further, they, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. Now jump ahead to chapter 3. Chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. And he went up to the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach, to have authority to cast out demons. And he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, which means sons of thunder. The name he gave him was sons of thunder. And Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Okay, we're going to begin this morning with a pop quiz, okay? Eyes up here, not in your Bibles. How many of you can name the twelve disciples, all twelve of them? Let me see your hands right now. Let me see your hands. All twelve. Yeah, that's what I thought. I asked that question to... Yeah, one guy lied over there. I saw his hand go up. I asked that question to my staff. We study the Word together on Wednesday mornings. Whatever, whoever's preaching up here does, we look at the Word together. How many of you guys can name the 12 disciples and all those astute theologians sitting around the table? All of our hands, including mine, went down quickly. Guys, that uh, we know some of them, but we don't know all of them, and we know very little about some of them, and we would be hard-pressed to write down all those names together. So we're going to look at this morning. Who are these travelers? What did Jesus call them to do, and why these guys? What did they look like? Were they ordinary men, extraordinary men, and why did they follow Christ? Father, as we look at the Word this morning, as we look at these men who traveled with the Savior, as we look at these men that uh, he called to follow after him, I pray that you would teach us the truth of your Word, and as we look at the truth of your Word, that our lives will be different as a result of us. Help us to be not not merely hearers of the Word, but doers as well. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. How many of you uh, went on vacation with kids or grandkids this summer? Or maybe you are a kid and went with your parents this summer? How many of you took a vacation somewhere? I had them all pile. Yeah, the majority of us did that somewhere along the summer. We did this summer. We uh, took our kids and grandkids with us to camp. We go to camp every year. I speak and Bev speaks. And we did uh, Pine Cove Family Camp. Well, as a speaker, they put you in a cabin, and we had uh, Bev and myself, our daughter and son-in-law, and their four kids. So there were eight of us in a two-bedroom, one-bathroom cabin. Uh, we were traveling. 
We were travelers. You ever been on a vacation like that? Vacation? Is that the word I said? Have you ever been on a trip like that? I, I mean, it, it's quite interesting. It was a stretching experience, to say the least. The knocks on the bathroom door would be, hurry up, it's my turn, I'm next. And that was pretty typical for the week we had there. It reminds me of a family that was traveling on vacation together. They were gone from the East Coast to the West Coast to visit family. And as they were headed across, as kids would, they were squabbling and squalling in the car. And so the mom came up with an idea. The next day was going to be kindness day. So she put the names of all four kids in a hat, and all six of them, the mom and dad and the kids, drew names. And so on that day, they had to be kind to that person. And so the day went really well. In fact, they celebrated with a special meal at the hotel that night. The next day, the eight-year-old Darrell said, "Uh, that was great, let's do it again. And he passed around his baseball cap with all the names in it. About three hours into the journey, everybody noticed that everybody's being really nice to Darrell on this trip. (laughs) Put his name in the hat and nobody else's on that day. I mean, if you travel with your kids before you're out the driveway, the question is, are we? Yeah, same question every kid in the whole world has, doesn't matter which nation you're in. Are we there yet? Or one of them pipes up from the backseat, I got a potty. That's it right there. If you got a little one or I got to go. Uh, or we, or, or, or I'm, what do they say, I'm, yeah, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty. How much longer? How much longer? Every kid in the world travels the same. When Jesus began his journey to the cross, he invited 12 men to travel with him. And I, I'm going to submit to you that these disciples, by the way, the, the, the word disciple, mathetes in the Greek language, means a follower, a student, or a learner. A follower, a student, or a learner. I'll submit to you that these disciples are kind of like having kids follow you around for three years. Like taking a vacation with kids. In fact, as late as post-resurrection, Acts chapter 1, they're asking the question, are we there yet? Translated, is it time for the kingdom to come now? I mean, these disciples are a bunch of kids. Are we there yet? Ooh, is we there yet? Is it time for the kingdom to be ushered in? Or they were like kids arguing in the back seat of a car. But their argument was, can I be first in the kingdom? Can I be first in the kingdom? Can I be first in the kingdom? And the disciples were much like kids taking a trip. Who were these guys? Why were they invited on the journey? How were they invited on the journey? That's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at the call of the disciples and their response. Well, the story begins with the calling of four fishermen. The first recorded act of ministry in Mark's gospel is not something sensational. It's not a spectacular miracle. It's not a scintillating sermon. It's not the crowd walking away in amazement as they have many times, but it's a simple summons of four common men to become travelers on the journey. Little did those four men and the other eight who would be called as well realize, little did they realize what their future would hold and that 2,000 years on a Sunday morning in Temple, Texas, we would be talking about it. You would know the names of these four quite easily. There's Peter and his brother, who is Andrew, and there's James and his brother, who is John. But on this day, it was just a typical day in their lives. They were gone about the family business. They were out fishing, which they were trained to do, and they had been apprenticed by their own father, which was common in that day and age. Little did they know on this day, when this man came up and said, follow after me, how radically their lives would be changed. In fact, the plan of Jesus was radically simple, simple, but simply radical. It was radically simple, but it was simply radical. And so what happened here? I mean, is this the way that things took place in the first century? Actually, it's quite unusual. If we were transported somehow back to the first century and we were to look at rabbis and their followers or students, what we would see is that rabbis did not typically call their students, but students attached themselves to their rabbis. 
Rabbis didn't offer invitations to students to come, but students, actually the parents, the fathers of those students would look around and they would find a rabbi that either taught out of a certain tradition or taught the Torah in a certain way. And the result is they would have their sons follow after a particular rabbi. This was unusual. This is a rabbi, as they would call him later, a master or a teacher, and he was calling young men to follow after him. He was the one doing the calling. It was the opposite of the way it took place most times in the first century. And so they would follow after their rabbi, look like their rabbi, act like their rabbi in many ways. In fact, that happens even today. If you were to go to the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, you would find men who dressed in the traditions of their rabbis. And that's why when you go to the Wailing Wall, men are dressed and they look quite differently. If you look at this Orthodox Jew and these men over here and these guys over here, the first thing you notice is they're dressed differently. This guy has the side locks or the the side curls. They're called payat. That's the Hebrew word. And that comes out of Leviticus chapter 19. And their particular rabbi interpreted that where it says you shall not cut the round corners of or the round part of your hair. They interpret that as growing side curls, payats. And so that's exactly what they did. It's exactly what you see. And so he follows a particular rabbi. They all wear the same type of hat. And so these guys actually shave the beard or crop it a little closer. They don't grow the side curls. These guys, as you can see, dress differently. And they are dressing in the tradition of their rabbis. They're following after their rabbi. And so if you go to Jerusalem today, you would see evidence that they follow different rabbis, different traditions based upon their dress. And also if you were to follow them to the rabbinical school that they went to, it would be different. Same thing in the time of Christ. Students attached themselves to rabbis. The dress was not necessarily different in the day of Christ, but certainly they followed in different ways and different traditions and learned from the, seat or from the, from the rabbis that they followed. So Jesus calls them. He says, unlike the rabbis of their day where young men would attach themselves to him, he's saying, I want you to come and follow me. By the way, Jesus was also different from the rabbis of that day in other ways. He, rather than being served by his students, he served his students. That's why you see Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. Most rabbis in that day and age, their students would even walk behind them rather than equal with them and to them because they were not equal of them. And so here's Jesus with his disciples, ministering to them, caring for them, and serving them. And not only that, Jesus was different from the rabbis in that day, not only because he called his disciples, not only because he served his disciples, but also because of the way he taught. Oftentimes when Jesus would teach, at the end of that teaching, it says the crowds went away and they were what? Amazed. They were amazed. Why were they amazed? Because the way the rabbis taught was by not opening the word of God and not teaching the word of God as we would do here and as Jesus did, quoting from the different scrolls of the Old Testament. But what the rabbis would do in the time of Christ, they would say, Rabbi so-and-so said this, and Rabbi so-and-so said this, and Rabbi so-and-so said this. That's why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount corrects the teaching and says, you have heard it said, but I say to you, you've heard it said, that's what this rabbi taught, that's what this tradition taught, but I say to you, this is what God's word means. We come from a lot of places. A number of you over here are students. You go back to your home churches. Some of you are visiting from different places, either out of town or churches in our community. Many good churches in our community, many good churches where you come from. Here's the one thing I would tell you. When you choose a church, choose a place where you show up with the word, where they open the word, where they teach the word, and the guy or gal up front is one who does that. If not, run. Run. And if that ever happens at TBC where the person up here does not open the word, does not teach the word, I would implore you to run. Because it's the word of God that's living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, and it's that which changes the hearts and lives of men and women. Amen? Amen. Amen. 
And so we recognize that Jesus calls these men to follow him, to follow him. He taught with authority. The call to discipleship is a radical call. It's a radical call. Young men usually apprenticed and trained and adopted the trade or the business of their father. This is what Peter and Andrew and James and John were doing. They, they were fishing. They were trained as fishermen. In fact, it specifically says James and John were with their father mending the nets. This is a radical call. Jesus is inviting these men to give up their vocations and follow after him. Now, Jesus doesn't call everybody to do that. He doesn't call everybody to give up their vocation and follow after him. Now, when you, you look at what Jesus did, he's telling these guys, he says, now I want you to chase after me. Now I want you to come where I go. I want you to be with me. We'll see that in Mark chapter 3. Jesus does call some to give up their vocations. He, he called me, obviously, to do that. He calls others to do that. But the majority of us not. I can remember for myself personally, I looked back and I was young. I was 19 years old. I was working on a barge in the Gulf of Mexico. I, I, after work, we got off work, I think at 7 at night, and uh, I would go and have a quiet time up on the deck of this barge. And there were literally a couple of hundred men in this barge, about 300 men that summer. It was a lay barge laying pipe from one place to another, and I would go on the deck and have time alone with the Lord. And as I was reflecting on my life as a 19-year-old, just finished my sophomore year of college, I was reflecting on my life and thinking, you know, the thing that I love doing is teaching Bible studies, being with the young men that God had placed in my life to disciple. I love doing that. I was in pre-med thinking that's the direction I wanted to go. I'm grateful folks that have gone that way. But I realized I'm much more, I'm much more to hated that stuff, chemistry and organic and comparative zoology. I didn't know what that stuff was. But God had given me an ability to open the word and teach the word and to minister to these young guys. And I thought, Lord, if you could use me the rest of your life, I'll be willing to do my life. I'll be willing to do that. I never heard a voice from heaven. Gary, go to seminary. <laughs> it made it a little easier. But I said, Lord, if you could use me in some way, that's what I'd like to do. So I switched my majors to history and uh, my major to history. And uh, with a history degree and about a uh, buck fifty, you can go to Starbucks. About three fifty, you get a cup of Starbucks. <laughs> but I remember that. I remember God just doing business with God, and there was no voice from heaven. But it was Lord. I, I'm pretty sure this is the way you want me to go. And so, by His grace, we've ordered our life in that direction for three decades plus. But for the vast majority of us, that's not what God does. For the vast majority, he says, I want you to be a godly teacher, professor, coach, using your vocation to bring glory to God by the way you do your job and your character. For most of you, he says, I want you to be a carpenter, a plumber, an electrician who's using your vocation to bring glory to God by the way you do your job and by your character on that job. God looks at you and says, I want you to be a godly doctor, a godly dentist, a godly dietitian, a godly nurse, and I want you to use your vocation to bring glory to God and to use your job and your character to honor him. And God says, I want you to be a businessman, a salesperson, a business owner who uses your vocation to bring glory to God by the way you do your job and your character. And he says, I want you to be a, a, a lawyer who... We'll stop right there. That may be pushing a little bit. <laughs> Actually, we need godly lawyers. We need godly men and women representing us in every field to honor the Savior the arts, the sciences, the academies, everywhere, doing your job to the glory of God and making sure your character reflects that. Are you doing that? Are you doing it? Let, let me ask this question a different way. 
if you were to tell, if the folks in your office and the folks in your business and the folks around you, would they be surprised to hear your claim to be a follower of Jesus? Would they? The folks that you work with and the folks around you and the folks that see you the other five days a week, would they be surprised to hear that you're a follower of Jesus? Would they? Let me phrase it a different way. Are you different on Monday than you are this morning? Is you, you know, this morning, do you, do you walk in and you hold your wife's hand but never do it the rest of the week? Do you walk in and not nag your husband but you nag the rest of the week? Do, do, do you walk in and you speak kindly to people on Sunday morning but not the rest of the week? Do, do you walk in and you honor your appearance on Sunday morning but not the rest of the week? You see, if that's your life, you're called a hypocrite. And you're not living your life as a follower of Jesus. You are not a true disciple of the Savior, one who is a student, a learner, and your character matches who you claim to be. And so it's my prayer for you that you'll become that disciple who is a follower, a student, and a learner, and who looks like the Savior, and who responds like the Savior. Well, these guys hear the call of Christ. Now, if you look at the chronology of the New Testament and in the Scriptures, James and John and Peter and Andrew, they had met Christ before. In John chapter 1, John the Baptist is baptizing. They came up on the scene, and they had met Christ before. So Mark, Mark doesn't bring that out because Mark is more concerned about the instantaneous obedience of the Savior. In fact, I told you last week, 48 times in the Gospel of Mark, you have the word immediately, immediately, immediately. And you look in this context, and you see the word immediately in verse 18 and the, immediately in verse 20. And so it, Mark is concerned about the action of obedience and the following after Christ in this particular section. So he calls the disciples. He says, I want you to come after me. I want you to follow after me. And it's a radical call. By the way, it's a radical call for you and me too. In fact, in, we go to Luke's gospel. In Luke chapter 14, he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he can't be my disciple. And so what, what Jesus is saying here, if your love for me, it doesn't, everything, everyone else pales in comparison for your love for me, you cannot be my disciple. Luke chapter 14, verse 26. Then verse 27, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The cross is an instrument of torture and death. And he says, if you're not willing to die for me, to give your life for me, you're not my disciple. And then this verse in Luke 14, 33, so then none of you can be my disciples, not give up all of his possessions, not some of your possessions, not a few of your possessions, but if you don't live your life like this and say, God, my big screen TV, God, my house, God, my car, God, my, my, my allowance, God, my whatever it is, it is yours. He says, you cannot be my disciples. Everything is on the altar before the Savior. Everything. It's yours. 10%? No, everything. Everything. It's yours. So when Christ called these men to follow after him, these four men, what did they do? What was their response? Well, they negotiated, right? They wanted better tents to stay in and more pay. They debated with Jesus. You ever debate with God? Let me ask you a deep theological question. When you debate with God, who's going to win that argument? You're going to match your 20 years of wisdom against God, your 50 years of wisdom against God? You're going to lose every time. When, when Christ called these men, they didn't debate. They didn't question. They didn't ask for details. Hey, where are we going? When are we coming back? What about money? Where are we going to stay? 
but they follow Christ. Now let me put a little context to this. Typically, when a young man would follow a rabbi, it was right after he bore mitzvah, which was age 13. We don't know the age of the disciples. Scholars speculate somewhere in late teens, early 20s. Late teens, early 20s. So Jesus comes walking on the scene, and let's assume somebody's 19, like I was a long time ago. 19, and Jesus comes up and says, I want you to follow me. And so, uh, I don't know what that is, but it's not there anymore. So Jesus walks up and two dudes are fishing with their dad and uh, they had come back early and said, Dad, we've met the Messiah. And so they turn around and say, "Uh, when Jesus shows up, Dad, we're out of here. Dad, we're gone. We're going to follow him. And so Zebedee turns to his sons, James and John, and says, where are you going? I don't know. Where are you staying? I don't know. How are you going to feed yourself? I don't know. What do you know? Uh, we're following the, that dude right there, Jesus. And so Zebedee goes home for dinner that night. Sands his sons. The sons are not with him. And Mama Zebedee looks at her husband. And she says, where are the boys? And he said, I don't know. Where are they eating dinner tonight? I don't know. Where are they going? I don't know. What are they doing? They're following that guy over there. Now, honestly, that's all speculation. But, you know, sometimes the story is so familiar, we forget how it takes place. These are young men who walked away from what they had been apprenticed in, and they're following after a guy who claimed to be the Messiah. Now, what would you do if your 19-year-old came to you and said, Hey, Dad, I'm out of here. I'm gone. I'm following after this guy. You would say, You go back to school where I paid that tuition. (laughs) Are you crazy, boy? I mean, sometimes we don't think outside the box of the scriptures, do we? These guys are saying, hey, we're following him. He's the Messiah. And we read the scriptures and forget there's a whole lot there. No, God doesn't fill in those blanks for us because it's not the focus of the scripture. The focus is upon Jesus and the obedience of the disciples. And what the scriptures tell us, they immediately followed him. What about you? When God taps on the door of your heart and you are convicted... Do you obey? Do you follow after Jesus? You know, you hear a sermon. It may be me, it may be Stephen, it may be Tim or Dave or Chase, and you hear a sermon and you walk out so convicted. I can't tell you how many of you have told me over the years, you never take your eyes off of me. Now you can say you never take your eye off of me. (laughs) I don't. I watch every one of you the whole time. Never take my eye off of you. You and you and you and you and you. But here's the reality. You walk out and you're challenged to spend time in the Word of God and your heart beats out of your chest and you know you should and you don't. Or you walk away from a quiet time of your own. You spend time in the Word and you're convicted to open your home to study, maybe attend to study because you've been here for years and you haven't found a community of believers or to serve in a ministry because you've consumed and never given and you don't obey. Or you know everything you have belongs to the Savior and you struggle to give anything to the kingdom of God. Your checkbook is blank. Or maybe you're tipping God rather than tithing towards God. And if we saw that checkbook, you'd be thoroughly embarrassed right now. And you're convicted and you should be, but you don't do anything about it. Or maybe it's because 
we talk about addictions and sinful behavior, and every time I talk about pornography, alcohol, drugs, homosexual behavior, and adulterous relationship, you are guilty as the day is long, but you don't change. Are you really a follower of Jesus? Are you? Or you just like hearing sermons, being around the brothers and sisters? It's a good place for business. Look around. There are a lot of people. Been doing this too long to know reality. But it's my prayer, it's my prayer that you'll be a serious Christ-like follower who loves him so intensely it seems like you hate others, but you really don't. Or who's willing to say everything I have is yours. And so I'm going to be generous with everything I've been given. Or maybe it's I'm willing to sacrifice my very life and that which I love to do whatever you want me to do. Jesus says, uh, I want you to follow me, and these guys followed him. Well, the calling extends not only to 4 but to 12. You go ahead to Mark chapter 3 in your apps and your Bibles, and we read that section, and it says in verse 13, he went up to the mountain and he summoned those who he himself wanted. So Christ is the one who calls them to himself. He's the one who chooses the 12. They came to him. He appointed 12 that they would be with him. So he summons the 12, and the one thing I would mention in that is that Christ decided he would not do ministry alone. He decided he would have a team. Christ could have done ministry however he wanted. We have been called to live in community. They're sent on a mission. We'll see in a second. They're called to be part of a greater community. You are called to be part of a greater community. You are called to be part of a community of believers who walks with Christ, not a community of 3,000 people that show up at TBC on Sunday mornings only, but a community of a smaller group, a community of a smaller group of believers so you can grow together in Christ. That's why we push that. If it's on campus, if it's Sea Life, if it's uh, Sunday morning groups here, if it's groups in homes or you start one in your place of business, whatever it is, God has called you to be part of that. Otherwise, you're missing a great blessing, a great blessing. Too many people live their lives like blackjack Christians. How do you play blackjack? It's you and the dealer, nobody else, nobody else. And too many people are content to live the spiritual life that way. God's called us to be poker players, not literally, okay? Don't send me nasty emails. But I mean, gals, why does your husband go play poker with some guys once in a while? I mean, why does he do that? Is he going to make a fortune at some quarter ante poker game? Why does he do it? Because dudes want to be with other dudes. We're not going to be like you gals and say, hey, you want to do a little lunch this week? But you know what dudes will do? Dudes will say, hey, let's get together and play a little poker because they want to be around other guys or they'll watch a game together so they'll watch it by themselves. Why do they do that? Because that's the way we're all wired to be. Now, don't go home and say, you see, honey, I can go play poker every night of the week because Gary said I can do it. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that's the way we're wired. That's the way we built. That's the way we're supposed to be. And if we're not doing that, Christ calls a team to be with himself. Likewise, we should be part of a community of believers growing in the Savior. So what's the response of these guys? What's the plan? He calls them. What's the plan? I mean, what's he plan for these guys to do? If you write in your Bibles, in verse 14, put a number one, a number two, and a number three in front of certain phrases. He appointed the twelve, number one, that they might be with him. Number two, that they might be sent out to preach. Number three, that they would have authority to cast out demons. Number one, he says, I want you to come and be with me. Number two, I want to send you out. Number three, I'm going to empower you to do great things. 
Now, there are churches that hire consultants to come in, and they have board meetings ad uh, infinitum, ad nauseum, actually, talking about strategies and plans. Jesus says, guys, I want you to come, and I'm going to give you my strategy. Here it is. You ready? Here's my strategy. Three things. I want you to come and be with me, then I want you to go out and preach what I've told you, and I'm going to give you the power to do it. That's it. That's it. That's it right there. That's it. That's it. You don't need a hundred committees to follow that, do you? I'll never forget the day my dad called me. He told me he'd been elected to be on the committee of committees at the church they were in New Orleans at the time. The committee on committees. Go figure. I mean, what is that about? What is that about? And if you're on the committee of committees at some other church, God help you. That's all I can say. I mean, Jesus says, Here, here's the plan, guys. I want you to come, lay down your nets, follow after me, come to the mountain. He gets the other eight and says, okay, here's what we're going to do. I want you to hang out with me for three years. He didn't even tell them how long. He just, I want you to come and hang out. I want you to be with me. And then after you're with me, I'm going to send you out to preach about it. And then as you do that, I'm going to give you the power to accomplish it. Well, here's the question. Did that happen? What were the results? I mean, did it happen? Well, you fast forward to the book of Acts. And you go to the book of Acts, and uh, did they go out and proclaim Christ after he was gone? You bet they did. Here is Peter proclaiming Christ. And what happens? So then those who received the word were baptized, and on that day, 3,000 souls were added to the kingdom. Did Peter and the other disciples go out and proclaim the message that Christ gave them? Did they do something after they were with him? You bet they did. They went and proclaimed. Ultimately, they gave their lives for it. Did they have power? Well, you go to the next chapter, and they're gone to the temple to pray, and there's a guy comes up, or a guy, he didn't come up, he's lame, but they come up to a guy, and he's at something called the Gate Beautiful. It's one of the gates around the temple, and he, he says uh, he's begging for alms. And you remember the answer of Peter and John? Silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. So what happened? Did they have power, the power that was promised them? When he says all authority, talking about the power given to them, it says with a leap, the man stood up and began to walk. He entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. It's a miraculous event. God, Christ has given the power for the disciples to go out and proclaim the word and do the things that he told them to do. He says, here's my strategy, guys. It's a threefold strategy. You come and spend time with me. First of all, I want you to be with me. Secondly, I want you to go and proclaim who I am. And thirdly, I'll give you the power to accomplish it. So we see that they have preached and that they have done the miraculous. Have they been with Jesus? Well, you know where I'm going with this, don't you? See, if you go to Acts chapter 4, it's quite an interesting scenario. Everybody's upset because these guys are preaching and lives are being changed. And it says, as they were speaking, this is Acts 4.1, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and chapters of the temple guard and the Sadducees came upon them and they were disturbed because they were preaching and proclaiming that Christ was resurrected from the dead. So they laid a hand on them and they put them in jail. But many heard the message and now 5,000 men followed. And it came about the next day, they're called before the high priest and the governor and Peter, filled with the Spirit, spoke up. And then they were amazed at what he said. So how do you explain the fact that all these lives are being changed, these ordinary fishermen have turned the world upside down? 
I mean, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and leaders, they preach and teach what the rabbis said, and nobody's being changed, nobody's following them. But then all of a sudden, these guys who are uneducated, untrained, are turning the world upside down, turning the world upside down. How do you explain that? You know how they explained it? These are the leaders. They say, now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood they were uneducated, untrained, meaning they'd not been trained in the rabbinical tradition, not been taught those things, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Wow! They look at the ministry of Peter and John and they say, all we can tell you about these guys, they haven't been trained, they haven't been to our schools, they don't have our education, they've got thick accents from the Galilees, but here's one thing they've done. They've been with Jesus. What about you? You've been with Jesus. You know, my prayer for many years, and it's intensified in the last several months, for our body and for myself, is that folks would look at what's happening here in our lives individually in my life, and their response would be, that man, that woman is different. He lives his life differently, and all we can say in explaining it, he's been with Jesus. And that woman, the way that she loves can only be explained by the fact that she's been with Jesus. And the way that man speaks to his wife, and the way she speaks to other people, and the way they're generous with their time and money and possessions, and the way they care for others, I don't get it. But I can tell you this, it's because I've been with Jesus. And the way that man deals with the circumstances that have come his way, and the way she deals with those circumstances in her life, it blows my circuits. And I don't know how it happened, but I know this that to man or woman who's been with Jesus. If you've been with Jesus, you've been in his presence, not just Sunday mornings, not just some Bible study but every day before the risen Savior who can accomplish great things if you're willing to be with him. Ordinary people can accomplish great things when you've been with Jesus. When you've been with him, he can use you. He can take fishermen from the Galilees and turn a world upside down. Take a son of a shipyard worker and use him in a different setting. And he can use you, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, as ordinary men and women just like those guys, to do extraordinary things with the Savior and for the Savior, if you're with the Savior. These guys went and they went to ports, and they went to palaces, and they went throughout the world. And we're here 2,000 years later because these guys had been with Jesus. And then they went and proclaimed the gospel through the power he gave them. That same invitation is yours. Father, our prayer that we'll be with Jesus.
Some of you know Christ as Savior. There's no doubt in your mind, but the reality of it is you haven't been with Jesus in a long time. You're not a man of the word, a woman of the word. You're not a person who speaks differently to your wife, to your husband, than anybody else out there. You're not a person who loves others. You're not generous. You know Jesus, but you haven't been with Jesus. You're somebody else on Sunday morning than you are the other six and three-quarter days of the week. Would you this morning say, Jesus, I know you as my Savior, but I'm tired of living this kind of life. I want to be with you. Maybe you're here today and the first step in this journey is accepting Christ as your Savior. You need to be forgiven of your sins so that you can be with him not just today but eternally. Would you do that? God can take ordinary people like you and like me and he can use us to accomplish extraordinary things if we'll be with Jesus. We love you, Lord. And we want to be with you. In your name, amen.